I know because of the uh, traffic problems on the A20, some of you are just getting here. We still have a lot of seats on both sides of the uh, gym, and so go ahead and find the seat as quickly as possible. We're glad that you made it. If this is your first night here, this is Summer Spectacular at Richland Hills. We do this every summer, and this year we're studying Elijah. And so uh, each night we'll have an adult teaching here, and then we'll leave, and right after we're dismissed, there is a uh, musical that tells the story of Elijah's life for three nights in the auditorium. So I'm going to dismiss you around 6.20, If you have elementary age children or younger, you need to go get them first because we will not release them until the, an adult has picked them up and then go into the auditorium and find your seat. What I'm going to do because there is no way I can cover the life of Elijah in three nights, is, is uh, continue the study of his life on weekends in my preaching here at Richmond Hills. We started his life this past weekend, and then last night we saw Elijah at Camp Raven. Tonight we're going to see Elijah in Zarephath. Tomorrow night we're going to study the story of Elijah raising the widow's son, And then this weekend, my teaching will be on the great story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, taking on the challenge of the God of Baal. So, if you missed last night and want to hear it, I'll repeat it on Wednesday night. I'll repeat tonight's teaching on Thursday night. And if you can't be here tomorrow night, you can come back Friday night and hear it then. This entire teaching will be available later on CDs, or you can get on the internet and listen to it. But I hope you'll be a part of as much of it as you can because his life truly is amazing. He was really on fire for God. Now, I want to tell a couple of stories uh, about my wife's family tonight. In fact, tomorrow, um, (laughs) because of Summer Spectacular, they're coming to second session, I'm going to have my sister-in-law, five nieces, and one of my niece's friends staying at our home. All women. <laughs> pray for me. And uh, so it's only appropriate that I tell a couple of cool stories about them. Uh, my wife's brothers named Tom. They have four children. Uh, and their oldest son, uh, Jake, uh, has cystic fibrosis. We learned that when he was about five. And some of you know a little bit about what a difficult disease that is to live with, even though they've made a lot of strides and people with CF live longer than they used to, it's still not curable. And they say they're close to a finding the cure, so pray about that. But uh, my brother Tom and his wife Melinda just have my utmost respect because if you have a child with a disease like CF, it changes family life. In fact, some studies show over 90% of marriages with a CF child end in divorce because the pressure is so intense. Well, Tom and Melinda not only have a strong marriage, they have raised a beautiful, happy, healthy family, including Jake, who's now in his 20s. And, uh, but they had to make some difficult decisions because of this reality in their life. One of the decisions they made when their children were small was they decided to homeschool because Jake would often have to have extended hospitalizations, and it was just too difficult to try to do a normal school year when you're in the hospital for weeks at a time. And so they decided it would be best to homeschool all of their kids. 
Well, my children love their San Antonio cousins. And so whenever we would go to visit family, because my cousins are homeschooled, it was always possible for them to have a day off from school and play with my kids. And so my kids couldn't quite figure out this homeschool thing. It's just like every time we go down there, we get to play with them. Now, my oldest two took to school fairly well. But my youngest, Matthew, he was our surprise child. He had a lot of alone time with his mama growing up. He did not like going to school. Now, I shouldn't say that. He didn't mind school as long as he wanted to go that day. He did not like this having to go if you didn't want to stuff. So one day, Jamie is uh, hurrying him up. He's at the breakfast table eating some cereal, and he's in a foul mood, and he's about a first grader, and he is not excited or eager to go to school. And finally, in great despair, he finally looks up at his mama, and he says, Mom, can I just stay with you and be house-trained? Well, I do want to assure you that all of my children are house trained. But most of us can remember a time of not wanting to go to school. School was not our choice. School was somebody else's choice for us. Why? Because some Things can only be learned in a place of testing. So last night we saw that after Elijah announces this great challenge to Ahab's adopted religion, rather than letting him go public with this big ministry and try to bring about revival, God sends him to Camp Raven. Because God's got to put him in the wilderness and train him, melt him down before he can put him into circulation. Elijah's convictions didn't come by accident. They were molded and they were reinforced by God an intensive time of training. So he spent a couple of years in Camp Raven. And the brook dried up, but then a word came from the Lord. It was time to leave. And you know Elijah was glad because I think he actually said this place is for the birds. But some of you have careers where you understand to keep your license, whether it's a a CPA or some other similar kind of career. You have to get continuing professional education. They call it CPE. Well, I'm suggesting tonight that God decided that Elijah needed continuing profit education. So when he finally got the call to leave camp, it wasn't to go public, but God sent him to a new site, and he ordered a new round of tests. And that's what we're going to see tonight. Look with me, chapter 17. We'll look at these five different tests that God ordered for his prophet. It says in verse 8, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon, And stay there. The first test that God has ordered is what I call the why there test. Why there? Go to Zarephath of Sidon. Now maybe at first that doesn't sound unusual to you. But let me remind you of something. 
This weekend when we talked about the backstory of Elijah's life, we talked about Ahab and Jezebel, who was the father of Ethbaal, who was the king of Sidon. Where is God sending Elijah? Sidon is the buckle of the Baal belt. So God is sending Elijah to the heart of enemy territory. Um, my friends Rick Russell and Eric Swanson wrote this book, uh, Externally Focused Church. And uh, Eric tells a story that he's in Colorado on vacation with family. And his six-year-old cousin Kyle from California is there. And they're at this cabin. And it starts to rain pretty hard, and Kyle was disappointed because he wanted to go swimming. So Eric is out there with his nephew, and they're on the porch swinging in a hammock. And he's trying to explain to him, you can't go swimming because there's thunder and there's lightning right now. And it's dangerous to be in water when there's lightning around. And Kyle was from California. He hadn't seen this kind of thunderstorm and lightning before. And so Eric thought, this is a teachable moment. So he says, Kyle, why did God make the trees? Because he loves us. And why did he make the mountains? Because he loves us. And why did he make the lightning? Because he loves us. And he wants to kill us. (laughs) And Elijah must have thought, Sidon? God, I, I want to destroy Baal worship. I don't want to go live in the middle of it. Have you ever sought guidance from God and then you don't like the directions you get? Let's be honest. Where do you want me to go, God? I'll go anywhere. Send me direction, God. I just want a word from the Lord. Give me revelation, God. Give me revelation. Okay, I want you to go forgive so-and-so. I don't want to do that. I want you to go tell so-and-so you're sorry. I want you to go give your testimony to that coworker. I want you to go on that mission trip. I want you to go to the bank, get out a big amount of money, and do something crazy with it for me. You see, I think God, who refuses to be predictable, will often give you a surprising way to go. To test if you really do want to follow in all his ways. Because Zarephath was probably the last place Elijah wanted to visit. But going there was the first thing on his to-do list. Because obedience means just asking Where? Without needing to follow up with why there. And so he passed the why there test. And he went to Zarephath. Test number two God ordered. The do what test. God says, verse 9 again, I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Do what? I am a prophet of God. 
Now, if you want me to take care of a bunch of widows, that would make sense. You want me to go and have some pagan, Baal-worshipping widow take care of me? Do what? A humbling assignment for a man that has stood before kings. But sometimes God uses humbling tasks to prepare us for higher tasks. God taught me this early. I'm going to share this illustration. I don't know if I've ever shared it before. And I share it knowing that um, I know I'm not a big deal and you know I'm not a big deal. So don't take this illustration the wrong way. But when I got out of college, a lot of people told me I was a big deal. I was a valedictorian of Abilene Christian University. I had several churches offering me pretty impressive jobs. I had no clue what I wanted to do or what God wanted me to do. So I decided I would take that summer after my senior year and I graduated and I would work as an intern for a church in Dallas and maybe God would give me some clarity where I was supposed to go. So my first day, I've got my degree, um, valedictorian of ACU, go into this place where I'm going to work and I go into the preacher's office and say, what would you like me to do? He's got a job for you. Oh yeah, I'm ready. What you want me to do? Save Dallas? What part of Dallas do you want me to say first? He pulls out this box that rattles. Says, I was noticing the other day that all the pencils in the little racks in the pews in the auditorium are getting really, really dull. So take these boxes and go replace the pencils. Now this is a big auditorium. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of pencils. And I'm thinking... I took two years of Greek for this. <laughs> You're wanting me to replace pencils? This is the honest truth. This is the actual first ministry assignment I ever had. And so I'll be honest, I walked in there probably a little too pompously thinking, what a waste of talent this is for the first several rows. And then... It's like the Lord spoke to me and said, Okay, stud. If you're too big to do this, then you're too little to do anything else. And I repented right there on about the fourth from the back row of the Walnut Hill Church of Christ Auditorium. I started to sing songs. You can sing worship songs and replace pencils at the same time. I decided, what does the Bible say? If you're going to do something for the Lord, do it with all your heart. And I was the best pencil replacer you could possibly have hired. If you're too big to do something small, you're too small to do something big. In fact, I learned that the smaller you are, the more room you leave for God. And so... The do what test is an important test, and God orders it a lot for us. Test number three, the what's up test. Another story from my wife's family. My father-in-law passed away last fall, was for many years a builder. Some of the most uh, noted uh, landmarks in San Antonio, the tower, 
and the Alamo Dome were actual jobs where he was the foreman. And one of his big jobs uh, in San Antonio was Fiesta, Texas. I'm sure a lot of you have been there. He built a lot of that. And uh, so they let the builders and the construction workers kind of have a free day with their families there before it actually opened some years ago. And so my wife was down there visiting, so my kids and the cousins all got to go and spend a day at Fiesta, Texas, the first people to be there before it actually opened. And the people that uh, were promoting that uh, amusement park wanted to make a commercial to play all over Texas on how fun it would be to come to San Antonio and see Fiesta, Texas. So they got a bunch of these kids, including my children and my nephews and nieces, and said, do y'all want to come back in the morning and be on TV? Well, of course they couldn't resist that. They thought, wow, we're going to be famous. So the next day, my children, my nephews and nieces, had to get there at 5 in the morning. It is still dark. It is below 50 degrees. And they get these little children on the water ride. And they ride it over and over and over and over so that they could get the shots they want for the commercial. So after about an hour of this, and it's about 6.15, 6.30, it's still dark and it is cold. The kids get off and my little niece Kelsey, she's about four years old. And we wrap her up in a blanket and she's just shivering. And she says, Aunt Jamie... Being a movie star is not at all what I expected. (laughs) Look at verses 10 through 12. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord, your God, lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And I'm gathering a few sticks, take home, make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Welcome to Zarephath, Elijah. God, what's up? I'm just trying to be obedient. I'm going wherever you tell me to go, trying to do whatever you tell me to do. This being a prophet is not at all what I expected. Has God ever ordered the rough beginnings test for you? Where you're so excited about something and you get there and it isn't at all what you expected. And so, that first summer after I graduate... I uh, get a call from the Southern Hills Church of Christ in Abilene. And they asked me to come out and interview to be the youth minister. I thought, well, that's the thought. I could go and do that, and I could go to ACU and get a master's degree. And, and, okay, so I went out and I interviewed. And they had me preach a sermon. Now, I don't understand why you interview youth ministers by having them try out with a sermon. But that's what they did. And so... Afterwards, I meet with the elders, and they ask me if I would like to be the preacher instead of the youth minister. I was totally unprepared for this. I found out they didn't want to hire me to be the youth minister because I was single. And they didn't want me hanging out with their daughters. So they said, be a preacher, hang out with our wives. And 
And so, after a lot of prayer and a much persuasion on their part, because I said no at first, I decided to be the preacher. And I started 21 years old, seven sermons in my file, no clue what I'm doing. I'm the preacher of this church. All my life I wanted to be a preacher. As long as I can remember, I didn't go through the astronaut stage or the Dallas Cowboys stage. As long as I can remember, I wanted to be a preacher. I am finally doing what I always wanted to do. Oh, my. In my first nine months, the two other ministers on staff quit. One of them got a divorce. The secretary quit. She got a divorce. Three elders resigned, and of the six remaining, literally some weren't talking to the other. This being a preacher is not at all what I expected. I wouldn't want to go through that again, but at some level I'm glad I did. Because you know, if I had been smarter and If I had been a veteran, I probably would have gone to that church and tried to fix it. God didn't want anyone to fix it. God was going to have to fix it. And he did. Rough beginnings. Marriages can start out pretty tough. New jobs can be pretty tough. Even though you've been praying forever to get one. A new ministry can be disappointing at first. And here's the thing. We tend to interpret difficulty as being out of the will of God. Well, I've wanted and wanted this opportunity, and I get it, and it's going so tough. This must be a mistake. This must be what God wanted. No. Difficulty is often a part of the plan of God. Rough starts are one way God teaches us to be tough finishers. And so Elijah didn't head down the road thinking, you know what, there's got to be another town called Zarephath. This cannot be the right place. But we got an issue. How's a starving widow going to feed a live-in guest? So God ordered another test, the no way test. Verse 13 through 16, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you've said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not dry until the day of the Lord gives rain on the land. And she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So, there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. And for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not dry up in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah. Wow. Wow. Imagine what she thought. I know Yahweh is not your God. You say he's my God. But my God said, pour out the flour, pour out the oil, and it won't run out. No way. 
yes way. Why did God order that test? To see if Elijah had learned the lesson of the brook. Camp Raven taught him to trust the provider, not the amount of provision. And Elijah came to see that God is the source and that God isn't dependent on the things that we think are the source. See, we think the job is the source or we think the stock market is the source or we think if we just get the right guy in the White House, that's the source. And so God orders the no way test to teach you who the source is. Because here's the thing. If you're not passing this test, you're not sleeping well. The people that pass this test worry a whole lot less than people who don't. Why do you worry about what you're going to eat and drink and what you're going to wear? Your father knows you need these things. Seek first the kingdom. I think that's what Jesus means when he says you can't even comprehend what it means to live in the reign of God, the kingdom of God, until you become like a child. What does he mean? I preached a sermon that first year at Southern Hills on what it means to be like a child, the absolute worst sermon in the history of the Christian religion. (laughs) I had points like children are innocent, children tell the truth. Someone came up to me later and said, just wait till you have kids. Didn't have to wait. I watched his kids. (laughs) Now, I think what Jesus means, there's two things about kids that are true of the kingdom. Number one, they know how to receive. Adults do not know how to receive. You try to give something to an adult, they're going to say, oh, no, really, you don't have to. Kids just say, sure. (laughs) That's the only way you can be saved is just to accept the grace of God. You don't deserve it. And you can't pay it back. And the second thing about kids is their capacity to trust their father. You've never come up behind a couple of kids playing in a sandbox. One saying to the other, what's your plan B for retirement? What you going to do if mom and dad don't come through? They have no plan B. They have plan A. A father will take care of us. And they don't lose sleep over that. And so every day, They literally gathered around the table and stared at a miracle. Because when it seems like there's no way, God makes a way. And there were lots of days and lots of meals around that table. Because of the final test God ordered, the how long test. See, God kept Elijah on the sidelines for over three years. And I think learning to trust God's timing is the hardest test he orders. At least it is for me. The do what test, the why there test, hard but not as hard for me. That's the how long test. We don't like waiting. 
We don't like waiting to find out whether or not it's malignant. We don't like waiting to find out if this is the month we're going to get pregnant. We don't like waiting and crying about that child that we keep praying will repent or that mate we keep hoping will come back. We hate waiting. You're in good company. Joseph is in prison just waiting. Convicted of a crime he never committed. David's in a cave just waiting for years for a throne God had promised him. Jesus spent 30 years in total obscurity fixing tables and taking care of his mama before the call came. You can't be a good server if you're not a good waiter. In college, I learned a song. We don't hardly ever sing it anymore. But it's still one of the most convicting prayers in my life. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Down upon my knees, till in your own good time you'll answer my pleas. Teach me not to rely on what others do. But to wait in prayer and I answer from you. Because those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Because God's track is always better than the fast track. Even if it means you stay in school. See, what's God teaching his prophet here? In continuing prophet education. Three things. We'll close with this. Number one, testing is necessary for training. Anybody here had a stress test? Okay. It's easy to pass a stress test if there's no stress. That's not the purpose of the test. The doctor is going to intentionally produce stress. But his aim isn't to hurt you. It's to help you. Listen to what the Bible says, 1 Peter 1, 7. These trials are only to test your faith. To show it's strong and pure, it's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried by fiery trials, it'll bring you, notice, you'd think it's going to say bring God. No, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor. On the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. See, God is ordering tests for your own good. So that you won't spend the rest of your life listening to somebody else's testimony. And have you ever noticed that God often orders tests one after the other? You ever notice that? It seems like you have certain seasons of life where, I mean, it's just one test right after the next. And the temptation is to think God is distant when the tests are constant. But this story says no. God trains everybody for a reason. He never trains somebody for no purpose. And so, minister I know has this couple in his church. He says, uh, they've had trials lately. He's gone blind. 
She had a stroke. And then recently he had to be rushed to the hospital. They thought he was going to die, but, but he didn't. So he sees them uh, one Sunday thereafter and, and walks up and says to her, Boy, I've been praying for you. You know, and she's supposed to say, Well, thank you very much. But she says, What have you been praying? Um, that God would help you and strengthen you. She says, well, that's good. But pray this, that he won't let us waste any of this. God always refines before he assigns. So don't waste a good test. Because i tell you something about God. If you fail the test, He'll let you take it again. <laughs> Training is necessary. And that's why tests happen. Principle number two is that staying is necessary for growing. Going to Zarephath was hard, but staying there was harder. And what happens when we get tested is the voice of the enemy whispers and says, Cut class. But running away from the test forfeits God's best. I came across this somewhat back in the diary of John Wesley. Just listen. Sunday, A.M., May 5th. Preached at St. Anne's. Was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday, P.M., May 5th. Preached at St. John's. Deacon said, get, get out and stay out. Sunday, A.M., May 12th. Preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. Sunday AM May 19, preached at St. Somebody Else's. Deacon called special meeting, said I could not return. So Sunday PM May 19, preached on street, kicked off street. Sunday AM May 26, preached in Meadow, chased out of Meadow as bull was turned loose during service. Sunday AM June 2nd, preached out at edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday PM June 2nd, afternoon preached in pasture, 10,000 people came out to hear me. The Bible says, Romans 5, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know they're good for us. They help us learn to be patient and patience develops strength of character in us and helps us trust God more each time we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. Catherine Marshall wrote in her book on prayer, Waiting seems to be a kind of acted out prayer that's required more often and honored more often than I could understand until I saw what remarkable faith muscles this act develops. For isn't it true that waiting demands patience, persistence, trust, expectancy, all the qualities we're continually beseeching God to give us? You see... It's not easy to follow God's steps. Sometimes it's harder to follow His stops. Where God says, right there. Wait. But the Bible says it helps us trust God more each time. That's why He orders tests. That's why they're necessary for our training, for our growing. Because God's trying to teach us one thing. That God is all that's necessary. We have no idea, I think, in our culture how much our joy level is impacted by a perpetually dissatisfied culture. I want you to go home and think about that. We have no idea how much our joy level is getting affected by a perpetually...
perpetually dissatisfied culture. Marketing and advertising agencies are working around the clock to keep us dissatisfied. For three years, all of God's tests are asking one basic question. Elijah, am I enough for you? And basically, Elijah said this. God, if all I have is biscuits and water in the morning and biscuits and water in the evening or whatever the ravens want to leave, it's okay as long as I have you too. The great problem of most people today is not a lack of necessities. It's a lack of a grateful spirit. The Bible says, Hebrews 13, be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I'll never fail you. I'll never forsake you. Or as C.S. Lewis said it so well. He who has God and many other things has no more than he who has God alone. You guys come on up to the stage. I want to read another poem to you. This is from Max Cleland in his book, Strong in the Broken Places. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. And I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for, but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. And I am among all men the most richly blessed. Here's what God wants you to learn. How rich you are in God. That's what the doctor ordered. So, let's stand up. We'll close with this song of praise.